go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We are two landscape designers who have been working in the field for over 25 years. Through this podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge, our challenges, our foibles, our stories, and our ideas to help you create the most unique landscape for you and your family. We are two extremely busy designers because it seems like, this is my take on it, Michael, is that for people that have been quarantined, they've been hanging around their house looking at the landscape that they've been thinking about doing and a woman called today saying for the last 20 years. You're absolutely right. And in fact, even the people that had kind of set aside money for vacations and now they're not going on vacations and they thought, oh, I'll do the landscape, I'll do the backyard, I'll do the front yard later. Well, now they've got all this disposable income that they're not going to spend on. They're not going on vacations. They're not going anywhere. They're sitting and looking at their ugly backyards and going, I've got to do something now. Exactly. I, you know, I finished a landscape um, just before all this happened and it was a very small backyard and they have two little children and I made the yard and <clears throat> I used, um, I used these big pavers so the children could actually ride their bikes around in a circle. Mm-hmm. And um, then there were some raised bed planters and they texted me and said, oh my God, I, we don't know what we would have done without that because you know the kids are home and they're little and they're driving them crazy and they can't go anywhere all their little daycares were shut down so absolutely it's it's a situation the one thing that i found and i know i was talking to you earlier before is unfortunately because people want it now their patience level is non-existent so it's like oh what do you mean you don't work on the weekends what do you mean you don't work on the holidays i've got to get it in now immediately and so you have to explain to them it is a process We can't just start throwing landscapes in. You have to go through the process of designing. You have to find a contractor. You have to get permits. Um, There's still a process that you have to go through. It just doesn't happen magically by snapping your fingers. Well, that and also when you meet with them, um, they're ready a week later for the plan. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, it's like, oh, you mean, what what do you mean it takes takes a couple of weeks? You mean you can't get it to me by next week? It's like, no. And we have to really kind of go through the whole process. Yeah, it's funny because, and I've noticed that, you know, and I get it because people are stuck at home because everything's been going on. um, The patience level is non-existent. No, but here we are. So... We're here broadcasting to you instead of being with you at the moment or delivering your plan. And, um, and maybe we can give you some um, food for thought. So Exactly. We've spent the last few weeks um, talking about growing your own vegetables. And we've also interviewed two different people from nurseries. And um, now we're going to do what we do best, which is talk about the design aspect of a garden, where to put it, what to use. Exactly. And what to do. And, and, you know, that's the first thing that people are doing is that's the realization. Now that you're home, stuck at home, you're looking at the backyard or the front yard or both. And you're thinking, "Ah, what am I going to do with this space and making it more of a functional environment than just pretty things to look at? Because what Roberta said earlier, if your kids are stuck with you and there are no summer camps because most of the camps are closed and you've got to be the entertainment, you've got to be the activities you better provide something or think about what are you and your family and your kids going to be doing out in the yard? Right. Well, 
Let's go to the garden aspect. And um, I want to bring this up. I think we've brought it up before, but um, <clears throat> first of all, the main ingredient to have a garden with vegetables is sunlight. And um, so let's say your backyard is all shady, and but your front yard is sunny. And so it wasn't so long ago, you can maybe help me out here, Michael, where here in Sacramento, it was literally illegal to grow it vegetables. Was, yeah. Yes. Yeah, in your front yard. And the most you could probably do would be put a fruit tree, but they did not allow you to do vegetable planters, vegetable boxes. Maybe you'd have a decorative pot, a pot that you'd try to throw a vegetable in. But she's absolutely right. You couldn't. Um, it was illegal to, to plant your front yard um, and make it a production garden. It's changed now, but yeah, um, people just didn't do it. In fact, everyone... You know, the typical thing in the front yard was a massive amount of lawn. Yeah. And, and even um, uh, not too long ago, that if you were a, in an HOA, which is a homeowners association or, a, or in a production, um, let's say, village or buildings where um, you have CCNRs, which means you have to comply to certain rules, it was that the front lawns had to be front lawns, period. Right. <laughs> and a lot of those places didn't even have front walkways. You had to walk up the driveway. Right. But in, in lots of areas, you walk up the driveway to get to the front door and there have a little connecting little walkway. So you don't even have separate front walkways. Right. So, you know, the evolution, which happens when we're pushed to the brink, which means when we went into a deep drought, um, we had to do things differently. And now we're at a point where not only can we have drought tolerant landscapes, but we can actually bring forth fruit in our front yards. I think most people are afraid that, oh, it's going to look so ugly. So that's what we want to talk about today, because I did a um, I did a landscape design a few years ago and it was a big house and we did what looked like from the street, this beautiful wall. But the wall, which had lead stone on the outside, which is thin pieces of stone, um, was actually a raised planter for vegetables. Yeah, and I see, I, I think that's a, such a wonderful idea. And one of the things that, that I tell people all the time, and we, you and I talked about that, is it doesn't just have to be vegetables. Why not mix, and, and it's great for pollinizing, why not mix flowers with vegetables? So you get double duty. You get the benefit of the produce, but at the same time, you get the color in the flowers. And a lot of the flowers are also edible. Nasturtiums right. are edible. Even marigolds are edible. Right, right, right. And then um, if you plant, if you interplant herbs, a lot of the herbs, or if you're in Britain, your herbs, um, a lot of them are evergreen. So, you know, vegetables, for the most part, not all of them, are annuals. Right. You know, there are some that are perennial that will come back every year, you know, like your um, artichokes, they, they come back. Um, and But herbs like basil, they're a one-time shot. But other ones like oregano and thyme and marjoram, and They're, rosemary. And rosemary and lavender. These are, and chives. These are plants right. that will always be there and they're lovely. And the flowers from chives are also edible. So, right. and the other thing that's really, I, you know, it, as you were saying that, I was also thinking, you know, because, you know, no matter who's listening, some of you are dealing with deer. You know, you're dealing with animals and especially deer. They don't like, uh, they they don't like spice food, so they don't like rosemary. They don't like basil. They don't like thyme. They will they'll leave it alone. Yes, but they will eat everything else. So yeah. if, if you're doing a garden, 
and um, if it's in the front or the back, and you're in an area where there are deer, turkey, raccoons, possums, you want to be able to protect the garden from them for a number of reasons, not just for deer eating everything, but um, some of these animals like raccoons, cats, and possums, they will defecate in these beds. Yes, yes. That's, you know, you're in, in that, it's going into your soil and there's worms. You know, you don't know what's in there. So you want to keep it clean of any uh, animals getting in. I also found that that for a lot of people, I had that uh, recently, when you go into the higher elevations, and again, if any of the people that are listening, it's not just suburbia. If you're out in where you do have animal life, like bulls and moles and gophers, that's a, that's a really interesting situation, whether you're doing a vegetable garden or you're doing any kind of a garden or planting ornamentals, you have burrowing um, varmints, you know, like gold, um, gophers and voles coming up from bo- the bottom, eating the roots, and then your plant just drops dead. So right. there are some really cool solutions to that, that, that both uh, um, Roberta and I can share and, and, and let you know, because people need to need to be aware of those things right and bunnies yeah so you know putting chicken wire under your beds i mean there's there's lots of different things but let let's talk about the actual design of the gardens because there's so many ways you can go but i think the first thing and i think i think michael we've we've talked about this is if you're going to build a bed you do there's certain things you do not use and and two of them are pressure treated wood right railroad ties and railroad ties right (laughs) Both of them are infused with um, things that will will uh, keep the the wood from decaying. So there's arsenic as well as creosote, and both of those are carcinogenic, so they cause cancer. So you definitely want do not want to do anything that you're going to eat using pressure treated wood or um, railroad ties that have creosote. Right. So um, a lot of people use redwood, and then. Um I love using the wood alternatives like uh, timber tech, which is yes, uh, yes. It's a it's a wood composite. It's it's recycled plastic wood composite and also Trex. The thing with those alternative materials, if we're just talking about wood like stuff, is that because there's recycled plastic in them, um, they'll expand and contract with the heat and the weather. So you have to um, where if you were building a six foot by three foot bed. Basically, you'd put a post in each corner, you know, nail right. boards up, and maybe if it's six feet, one in the middle. If you're going to use the alternative, you've got to have these posts like every 24 or 30 inches. So when you put your soil in and it's really hot, the sides don't bulge out. Right. Right. Well, and what one of the things that I've been recommending a lot, again, it's not only for longevity, but it's also for cost. I've been recommending horse troughs, um, which are, are galvanized big troughs that they use out in the range for cows for horses and what you do is drill the bottom of them so that they drain you fill them up with soil and the beauty of these and then again you drip irrigate them and the beauty of these are like snails and slugs will not crawl up them they're raised so that you don't have to bend over as much and the cost of like an eight foot by three eight foot long three foot wide um, three, two foot high is about a hundred to one hundred and twenty dollars, as opposed to trying to build. And I love, you know, the idea of building a raised planter with uh, fiber on or timber tech or treks would be beautiful. But it's it's much more expensive. 
It is. It's much more expensive. And so, you know, everything depends on the look that you want, the architecture of your home. You know, all of that's going to, to play in. But um, whether you're using a galvanized um, trough, which the beauty of that as well is that it will never decompose. Right. And, and if you want and if you don't like the silver look, you can use a direct metal paint. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, there are some de definite uh, pluses to that. Right. Now, there's also brick that's expensive. Yeah. There's paper block. There yes. is, um, if you broke up a driveway or something with concrete blocks, you could build it out of that as well. You stack and, them. And I have to say something. I've done that once before. A lot of people say, oh, broken concrete, which, by the way, you can go to the, the dump and they'll let you forage through it for a minimal cost and you can collect up the broken concrete. But if you said, but that's ugly, you can actually use as you're stacking it, um, you can actually use an acid stain on it. And I did that once before. In fact, I was doing a show down in L.A. and we used the broken concrete for retaining walls. And then, you know, we, we actually laid them out and everything. And then we went ahead with an acid stain and just painted it on there and it stained the concrete. So it all everyone thought it was flagstone and it was one third the cost. Yeah. So there's there's all these different alternatives now. Um, so let's say you know what you're going to use material-wise to build the beds. Now the actual garden. So what I like to do, if you have the space, if you have like a 20-foot by 20-foot square area, let's just say you have that. Maybe you have less than that. But what I love to do is make it something that's actually pretty, like a, like a French garden or an English garden. So all four corners have a bed and then you might have room in the middle for either a bird bath, um, a sundial or a little table and chairs with an umbrella. Which is a great idea. So yeah, so when you're thinking, yes, you're thinking function, but Roberta's right. Why not make your garden, your vegetable garden look pretty? And I love that idea. If you had the four corners and then you're right, you yeah. can put a small table and chairs, a sundial would be great. A little bird bath would be great. Um, even another big pot with that you plant out, like I did that once before, is we, we did the raised planters and we actually made them. It was a little bit more elaborate. We made them out of concrete block and faced them in lead stone. But in the center, we did this beautiful, beautiful artistic pot and made that the, the lettuce garden where we planted all different kinds of leafy lettuces. And again, it was a really wonderful contrast. Yeah. So your garden, um, it doesn't have to be something that looks scrubby. And you, you might say, well, yeah, that might look nice in the summertime, but what about the winter? So there, not only are there winter vegetable crops, you know, the lettuce and your um, Brussels sprouts and chard and whatnot, but there are what's called cover crops. And um, one I love to use is called Crimson Clover. Remember that old song? Remember? Oh, yeah, that's, that, that's a great one. Or if you want flowers, I mean, cyclamen, um, snapdragons, pansies, um, snaps, um, stock is all, also, you know, they'll give you, they're an annual, but during the wintertime, they bloom and they look amazing. Yeah, so, you you know, you can make it into a flower garden. If you do do a cover crop, you know, like like, you know, they sell it in packages, when it is time for spring, you just dig the plants un into the soil um, after they've bloomed, and they actually bring oxygen to the soil. So um, it's it's really pretty. So there's so many different things you could do throughout the year. But if you do do a winter garden that's planted with cyclamen, 
I mean, imagine you could use that for, um, you know, your fall season color, you know, you could have pumpkins in there and, you know, you could dress it up. Everybody loves to dress their homes up for Halloween or for Christmas. And, um, you know, a raised garden in the front yard could be used for that as well. Absolutely. In fact, it was kind of funny. I had planted in, in our own place, I had planted two pots in the backyard and I wanted seasonal color. So in the fall, I went ahead and, and planted um, some snaps and everything. And then I re um, late fall, I replanted it with something permanent. I did some neat topiaries and creeping thyme, but I had all these leftover annuals and I thought, okay, I'm not going to throw them away because I spent the money. So I just planted them in the back beds thinking if they die, what have I ha to lose? Well, I've got to be honest with you. There were a lot of snapdragons that I just shoved in the ground. They all rooted and the first of spring when it was still cool, I have never seen such an array of flowers and color Every single one of those snapdragons doubled and tripled in size, and it, they were magnificent. So, I mean, again, you you forget about doing that, but, I mean, if you want to wow in the springtime, or and, and the other thing is bulbs. Bulbs are amazing to plant because you put them in the fall, and then they come up in the spring, and you get this incredible flush of spring color. Well, you know, that's a good point. So let, let's talk about that. If You know, so many people love tulips, or they love daffodils. But what they don't understand is they have a brief flash of beauty. Right. And then they're done. So if you, if you arrange your beds, let's say, where the outside edge is where you plant all your bulbs and maybe you start your garden, you know, 10 inches in, those bulbs could stay there, at least in Northern California, where we are, they could stay there during the winter. Now, if you're in the Midwest, you know, people have to dig up their bulbs and then replant them because of the ice and the snow and then they rot. Right, right. So, um, but um, just consider edging your beds. Let's say you have four beds in each corner and you can make them L-shaped, you know, so it looks a little bit like a mini Versailles, a little French garden. And um, you've lined them with, with tulips. And then the tulips come up, they look beautiful. And when the tulips start to fade, that's about the time you're putting in your vegetable garden. Right. So, um, there, you know, there's so many ideas, but the beauty is that when you have raised beds, you have perfect soil. It's not hard pan, you know, it's, it doesn't have big clots of clay. It doesn't because you've put the soil in there and you're putting great soil in. And each year before you plant your vegetable garden, hopefully you're adding amendments and, co and compost to it. So, so things that are difficult to grow, um, like dahlias or, or other, you know, things that are a little finicky. Dahlias aren't that finicky, but they certainly don't like clay soil. The raised beds are a perfect place for them. And that's a really good point that you brought up was, and, and a lot of us forget that if you've got a raised bed and you've planted them out and each year you're replanting them or you're adding things, you do have to add new nutrients because it's not like they can, because most beds, you know, it, it's like they use up. It's like when you were talking about earlier, and that's a really good point that I forgot about is you can't, if, if you're vegetable gardening, you can't every year plant tomatoes in the same spot year after year after year, you use up the nutrients. So you stagger them. And so one year you do tomatoes the next year, maybe you do sunflowers. And then one year, maybe you leave it fallow. What's well, the same thing in your raised planters? If you're going to be adding different things, you've got to add fertilizer. You've got to add nutrients um, so that you refresh the soil. And that's a really important thing. Yeah. And um, 
Well, if you have more than one bed, hopefully you have a few beds, then you could do uh, what they call crop rotation, which, you know, tomatoes are such heavy feeders that they'll, they'll eat up everything in the soil. So, you know, let's say the next year you put them in the other bed and meanwhile, no matter where they go, still before you plant them, you've got to put food in there for all of them. But but by rotating them, not only do they, it, does it help them with the food, but here's the other thing. If you have a particular pest, you know, like, like squash beetles, there's no way to get rid of them except to leave that bed completely empty for a year. So at least you have your other beds that you could grow stuff in. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, and also the, the one thing that I will say that I'm running, running into, which it, it's good, um, but anytime you do a raised bed, let's face it, we're all getting older. And having every time you have to bend over, it's hard on the back. So if you're raising them, and especially if you, you do a raised bed that you build that you can sit on, um, I'm working with several people that are paraplegic or in wheelchairs. In fact, I'm working with a woman who has a bad case of MS and she's now confined to a wheelchair or a scooter and she loves to garden, but she can't get down on her hands and knees anymore. So basically everything we're doing for her are raised beds to the level of her scooter or her wheelchair so that she can roll along there and actually work in the gardens. And remember, you need to make them, um, they need to be high enough so you can reach them, but they can't be that wide that you, you can't lean over. So again, um, we're doing a series of them that she can get all the way around and doing a series of them so that she can garden in the different beds. Right. I, I did one also for um, a woman who has MS. And so I think, I think we did 30 inch high beds. And here's the other thing. You've got to have at least three feet between your beds. You yes. know, you've got to be able, even if you're not in a wheelchair, you've got to be able to get a wheelbarrow. So if you're going to bring in new soil and new compost, you have a two foot path. You know, you might find a little wagon that'll fit in there. So right, and her, and that was a that's a really good point because, and thank you for mentioning that because that was one of her problems as she was coming along her garden beds, and that's why she's redoing it. On a scooter, she can't, I mean, it's not like she can get up and turn the scooter around. She's got to be able to turn the scooter. And if it's too narrow, you can't get the scooter to turn around in a narrow bed. So it's got to be at least 30, 30. I actually think 36 is even better because it makes it easy for her to actually turn the scooter around. Right. It depends. Now, let's let's talk about the other thing, which is you have three foot spaces, but the ground now, if you put pea gravel down, it's different. It's impossible to roll on. Yes. And it's really difficult to walk on. So normally with raised bed gardens, I square it off with decomposed granite that's compacted. Yep, I agree. That's that, and it comes in a in a gold color. You can also do it's called marble dust, and it comes in a gray color. Yeah, and and um, nowadays they have a liquid stabilizer. So it used to be, you know, when decomposed granite comes in, over time the little pumicey bits start rolling around and it gets in your shoes. And um, now they have a stabilizer. And so it's still not concrete, right? It's still right. permeable. But when you use a stabilizer, it makes it more like a, a you know, the Rice Krispie treats? Right, right. It's got a little more substance. So Decomposed granite, whichever color you're using, is um, a really good choice. If you have a bigger budget, you could do flagstone around your beds. Right. Uh, 
if you really want to paint, uh, you could have grass, and then you have to mow it and edge around the beds. Or you could do synthetic lawn if you wanted, you know, and that way you don't have that. Because one of the problems that I will say with the decomposed granite, which I, I recommend all the time and I love it, but if you're not careful and you don't realize that you've got it on the bottom of your shoe and you walk inside and you have beautiful wood floors, right. you will scratch your wood floors. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's different um, different materials you could use. But the most important thing is gardening is about um, schlepping in soil and being out gardening. And so you want to have access between the beds. You want to have access to the beds. And then um, that'll make your life that much easier. The other thing is if you put your garden at the very far end of your property, you're not going to be wanting to go out there when it's nope, hot nope. in the summer. Yep. No, it, it, I mean, let's face it, you know, and it, it's not, it, it's not being rude, but people are, people are lazy. We're all lazy. If you have to, if you have to literally pack an overnight bag to go hiking out to your garden, you're not going to do it. But if it's, close to the house, close to where you're barbecuing, close to where you're entertaining, you will definitely reach over there and use it. Not only will it look pretty, but you'll go and use it. But if it's way out in the boonies, um, when the initial excitement wears off, it's like, oh, that's too far out. Or you forget about it and it just stays and lays fallow. Or it's just too hot, you know? Right. This is, um, you know, this is not a garden, but I, for years, I had clients that thought it was this fun, wonderful, mysterious thing to put their hot tub in the far corner, you know, like a little getaway. Yes, yes. But, but the best time to be in a hot tub is in the winter right before you go to bed. Right. <laughs> so if you have to hike across your yard to get in it, getting out is a problem. So, you know, like a hot tub, your garden should be close to where you're eating or where your bedroom is. So, you don't, you know, if you make it look pretty, it doesn't have to be hidden at the back of your yard. Absolutely. And I agree with you 100%. And, and going on with that whole idea. Yes, the romantic ideas, sitting out in the trees, looking at the stars out, out in the distance, but most people don't wear bathing suits. And I will tell you, unless you wear a robe, there is no one that I know that is going to go buck naked, you know, um, a football field out into the distance. Even if it's private, you just psychologically feel like you're exposed. And then you're all warm and toasty and then having to run all the way back. Um, even if you've got a towel or even a robe, you get cold. So all those wonderful warming benefits doesn't work. Same thing with the garden. I mean, if you're schlepping all the way out there and you have to go over hill and dale and it's hot and everything, you'll finally go, this is too much work. I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, so gardens, um, if you do raised beds and you create a pretty spot, that's one thing, but you could also work it into the hardscape, which like we were both talking about, what looks like a, um, a wall on the outside with beautiful stone is actually a raised planter or a big, beautiful pot. Or, you know, some people only have room for uh, wine barrels, half wine barrels to grow in. Anything will work. It's creating the space. And when you, right. yeah, when you create the space of a garden, you're not just growing vegetables, but you're inviting the environment in, the healthy insects. They love that. The pollinators you're doing, it's almost like homeopathic remedies. You take a little drop and it ripples out and everybody, you know, it, it feels good all around. 
I agree with you. And you know what? There's nothing more satisfying unless you're afraid of butterflies. And I don't know very many people, but I did meet, finally met a client that didn't want, didn't like bees, didn't want butterflies, didn't like birds. And it was like, oh, really? Yeah, she was afraid of all of them. But I will tell you, there is something so satisfying about being outside, watching the, the hummingbirds flying around your garden, watching the butterflies, looking at the dragonflies. There is something so renewable and so beautiful about that as far as I'm concerned that's wonderful now if there was a snake that's a different story a but right and if yeah. you're allergic to bees yes and, if you're uh, allergic to bees yes so things like rosemary and lavender they attract the bees so that's something that you don't want to plant right next to your pool or right. you might not want to have it in the garden if you're allergic to them right but uh, also know that the big black bumblebees those aren't big stingers they're just busy they're busy pollinating so you know, I, I think as we educate ourselves on who does what as far as healthy insects in the garden, um, you come to realize that there's a more benefit. They're not out to get you. They're out exactly. to get pollen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been a this has been another opportunity on um, raised bed gardens. We're you know we're we're going to shift out of this, but because it seems like. Uh, Life is starting again as far as work and business and restaurants. And so we're going to continue on with our designing, um, all the elements of design, which will start again with our next podcast. So what do you think, Michael? Do you think we've done enough for the for the uh, vegetable sustainable end? Oh, I think so. And I think we've inspired people and hopefully we have. Um, I'm Michael Glassman. I'm Roberta Walker. And we are... Ding. Ding. <laughs> Thank you.